Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. Okay, so the last time we finished up the book of Daniel. Daniel was very intense. It was heavy on prophecy, heavy on history, heavy on eschatology. So we're going to go into the New Testament. We're going to throttle it back a little bit as we go into the book of Galatians with the Apostle Paul authoring it. So I just want to ask you a question before we get into Galatians. What do you think in life is worth fighting for? A friendship? The health of a loved one? A marriage? Um, you know, a mentoring relationship? Your reputation. These are all good things. The Apostle Paul, though, he fought, fought vigorously to fight for and defend the truth of the gospel of salvation. It was very important to him. Now, here's a person whose life completely changed because, and you may hear me interject or interchange Paul with Saul, because before the Apostle Paul was the Apostle Paul, he was Saul, the zealous rabbi who was, he was hell-bent on destroying Christianity. He even stood by and collected the clothings of the men that were stoning the first Christian martyr, Stephen. But something drastically happened on the road to Damascus to try to hunt Christians down and, and arrest them and continue to persecute them. The risen Christ actually met him, chapter, uh, Acts chapter 9, on the road to Damascus and said, Saul, you're persecuting me. So he had an incredible turnaround conversion experience and the very thing he tried to destroy was the very thing he fought for all his life because it was the truth. He understood that. person that comes to my mind today, and I'm, I'm fascinated to read about, self-admitted terrorists, uh, PLO terrorists, Walid Shubat, and there's, there's dozens of them, and they basically uh, were hell-bent again on destroying Christianity, and then they had this experience with the risen Christ, and of course they changed like the Apostle Paul changed. So it's, it's pretty neat. And my question is, do we know enough to defend ourselves or defend the gospel of salvation when presented with that challenge? Now, I'll just say this to you and just kind of make sure there's a warning here in a sense that it's the, the, the letter, for those that have not really studied the Bible, even self-admitted Christians, the letter can be a little harsh. The Apostle Paul's not playing. He's not kidding around. He calls false teachers what they are. Uh, he's not a fan of organized religion. You know, he's, he, he says, and listen, salvation comes through Christ alone. It's even today, 2,000 years later, people are adding, well, Jesus plus the church, well, Jesus plus the doctrine, well, Jesus plus the, a rite or ritual. And, you know, according to the scripture, according to what Jesus started, that's not true. And I will explain, explain what, the, what the gospel is. So as we jump into this, we're only going to cover actually 10 verses, as always, though, you know, I, I go into um, an overview of what's going on at the time, who, what, where, when, why, how, so that we can really get a feel and put ourselves into the situation and, and understand what we're even studying. So a few things. Number one, when was it written? Around A.D. 55. That's not 1955, it's 0055. Who wrote it? The Apostle Paul. Who did he write it to? He wrote it to the Galatians. Now... If you've done history and you've done some studies, find this very fascinating. You know I love history. But the Galatians were basically migrated Celtic people. Oh, the Celts, I've heard that. Celts. The Druids were their priests and they were, they were polytheists and they were pagans, right, before their conversion to Christ. 
a little bit more about the Celtic people. They were warlike. It, one source said that when they went into battle, they were like frenzied beasts. They didn't really fight in any kind of order, but they were just like, like not even human. They were like animals the way they fought. They had a practice. They enjoyed headhunting. And when they would cut the heads off of their victims, they would hang it like a necklace on their horses and ride into battle that way. Pretty scary if they came into your village seeing all that weirdness, right? So who wants to raise their hand and convert the Celts to Christianity? Any takers? Well, the Apostle Paul did. I mean, that's real evangelism. But, you know, of course, Jesus, it's the personhood of God that saves us. But the Apostle Paul continued just bringing the gospel to so many people. And history tells us by the 5th century A.D., many of the Celtic people became Christians. And largely because of the Apostle Paul's influence. It's pretty, pretty fascinating stuff. As a matter of fact, it, it went to the area of, of France and Britain and um, even in Ireland, they can trace a lot of their roots to the Celtic people. But where did the letter go? Well, it went to the Galatians. And the Galatians were from Gaul, Gaulatians, so to speak. And Gaul is modern-day France. So if we could put up the image of the map, basically what you have is, so this is Italy, Greece, and this is Spain. And this is an old map, so the, the, the names are like from the Roman uh, era. And this is France, Germany, okay? And the Galatians really started here from Gallia, and they migrated. Some went up this way, some, a lot of them went down this way. And they ended up in Asia Minor, Asia Minor, which we know is modern-day Turkey. And there was a province of Galatia. And the Romans, you know, had that control, but they were really, Gal you know, Gauls into this province of Galatia. And it kind of reminds me of, if I can give you an, an example today, Chinatown, right, in the United States. It's not China, but many ethnic Chinese are in that area. So it's like a microcosm of their community within the United States, Little Italy. It's not Italy, but a lot of Italian people congregate in that area under the banner of the United States. So th you see the similarities here. So at least in our minds, now we have an idea of what we're looking at, what we're talking about. Now, in Acts 13 and 14, the Apostle Paul founded some churches in this area. Just to give you, you know, for those of you that really study the Bible a lot, you might say to me, because this is what theologians do, they argue about things that are insignificant. Well, are you talking about the Northern Galatian theory or the Southern Galatian theory? Because there were people down here, okay, and there were people here, but some look at the, the north and south this way, and some look at the north this way. So here's my answer to the theologians. Yes. <laughs> and what I mean by that is, listen, this area is surrounded by water. And, uh, you know, the gospel spread. If it, if it started here and he started founding churches, then, you know, same thing with all of his letters. They would read it in the church. They would copy, make a copy for their church, and send it to the next church, the original. So no doubt it went through here. Uh, the letter to the Galatians, up here. And think about this. Ethnic people who settle in the United States, what do they do? They write home. They Skype. Well, they, you didn't have Skype back then. But people still wrote letters. So I have no doubt in my mind that that information went all the way back to Gallia. Interesting, isn't it? Well, I find it interesting. <laughs> so the Apostle Paul, why did he write this? Because 
the legalists were coming in after the Apostle Paul established the truth, and they were trying to burden people with their religion and their rites and their rituals, take them away from the simplicity of salvation of the gospel and bring them back into this under bondage of the law or bondage to all these observances. And even today, we would call them, back then they were called Judaizers, today we call them legalists. You know, when you meet a Christian who's so stifling, you feel like you're suffocating in the same room because they're, they're just pedantic about what you should do and you know, they observe things in their lives and then they want to tell you that you need to do what they do in their life. And you take the simplicity of your salvation and you start to feel like you can't breathe. And that's my expression of when I, when I have had, as even a new believer, experience with people who are legalists. So basically, there's only one gospel of salvation and that's through Jesus Christ. Grace is based on the personhood of Jesus. Grace is unmerited favor. When Christ died on that cross... He didn't die when the world was all good, when they were all nice and, and being. It was the worst time in history. But even what the Bible tells us, while we were still in rebellion against God and when we were still sinners, he died for the ungodly. So understanding if you try to take away Jesus, take away his divinity, take away his deity, it, it's, it's, an, it's an erasure. There's no salvation in that. If you try to add to Jesus, oh yeah, yeah, we believe in the divinity of Christ. But let's add these works, let's add the law, let's add these observances to your salvation. It's still an erasure. So a plus and a minus, for my math friends, still equals a minus. Starting with verse 1. It says, Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren who were with me to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I marvel that you were turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another. But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel to you, then what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you, then what you have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For I, if I still please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. And then he goes into his background. He goes into his conversion experience. But let's go through a few things. Number one, identification. The Apostle Paul qualifies his position. He says, I'm not an apostle because I got promoted or because somebody laid hands on me or because somebody gave me a certificate. It came directly from God. You know, um, today you hear a lot in religion. Well, well, we have the truth because we can trace our, our ministers all the way back to whoever. And then, you know, another religion says, well, well we had hands laid on and, and our great-grandfathers and fathers and forefathers, we go all the way back to Peter or to Paul or whoever. You know, it, conversion is a, is a divine experience. You know, it's not through man's efforts. It's not through human uh, doings. So basically, his conversion happened when he was really trying to destroy Christians, right? And, you know, I, I have this discussion with my son, I've had many discussions with him about salvation, and I basically, I call this the tag-along theory. Our kids can't tag along to heaven with us. 
And if you've grown, listen, I, wasn't, I didn't grow up in a, in a Christian home, but now my home is a Christian home, starting with me. And thankfully, um, you know, it affected my parents and siblings and such. But in my home, I have to explain to my son that he doesn't get to heaven because mommy and daddy are saved. He has to have his own relationship with Christ. Now, that might sound a little hard at first, but it's because I love him. It's because I want to see him in the same place that we are forever. So, I mean, sometimes you've got to say the hard things. You know, it's not a pleasant conversation, but it is the truth. And there's a lot of themes in here that warning equals love. And you see a lot of warnings with the Apostle Paul. It's because he loved the Galatians and those he was writing to. Now, the Apostle Paul's greeting is very unique because you see him almost defending himself, right? And if you understand the history, you know, the Apostle Paul would do his things, and then the false teachers would come in and try to undo it. And it's, it's a reflexive principle. If you need to destroy the message, you have to destroy the messenger. If you want to destroy the messenger, you need to destroy the message. And they were trying to do both. So on rare occasions, the Apostle Paul defended himself because it was part and parcel to preserving the gospel. Right? He was a good tree that he was producing good fruit, but they were saying otherwise. Verse 3, I'll read this again. He says, Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So this is the salutation, grace and peace from the Father, from the Son. And check this out. He's also qualifying the position of the Son and the Father as he qualified his position. Who are we dealing with? You know, when you talk to somebody about God, they don't know, if they don't know God, who is this God? What do you mean he's my Father? What do you mean he's my Creator? And this is like an introductory process. We explain who God is. We explain that he's good. We explain that he created. We explain that the world is a mess, not because of his fault, but because as humankind, we've rebelled against him and sin entered the world and therefore death entered the world. Oh, and they start to get a picture of who this God is, this long lost father that they never met. And then that, 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 that adds to the, to the regeneration process and then getting to know their father and then becoming eventually born again of the spirit. Remember, Jesus is not a religious leader. All right? We can go all through the world. We could look at Eastern religions. We could look at um, Western religions. We can look at all kinds of religions and find some religious leader who's buried somewhere or a tomb that people go and they venerate that religious leader. Jesus is, is God. That's what makes Christianity so unique. That God, that we didn't try to do all these things to reach him, but he came down and, and reached us. Who is Jesus Christ? That's very important. Because as the Apostle Paul talks about another gospel, in Corinthians he also talks about another Jesus. And there is no such thing as another Jesus, but people make a Jesus in their own image. Right? Listen, when we're dealing with our friends and loved ones or even strangers, we need to know the terms. We need to know what we're talking about. Uh, three, he says, grace and peace. Grace, because our sins have been washed away, and peace Romans 5 tells us with God. The ungodly, the unsaved, doesn't realize that they're under the judgment of God. And when they're born again, that all changes. They accept and trust in the sacrifice that Jesus made for their sins. So they have peace with God, but they've also been shown grace. You know, I love when somebody shows me grace. I love when, well, I don't love when I make a mistake or say something stupid and hurt somebody's feelings. But I do love when I'm shown grace. And I'm trying to apologize, and my face is getting red, and the person's just so gracious, and they just change the subject. 
and they never bring it up again. Grace is a wonderful thing. And as Christians, we've been shown a lot of grace in terms of our salvation, and we should be regularly showing grace to others. Verse 4. He says, one of the consequences basically of the cross is to be delivered from this evil age, from this fallen world run by men and women. And this is this partial redemption. This is the spiritual redemption. Some people come to me and they go, it's two months. You know, I went up to receive the Lord. I don't feel saved. That's deceiving. Are you God conscious? What does that mean? Well, I can tell you with me, before I was a Christian, I was only God conscious when I was in trouble. And I cried out like everybody else did, for God to save me. But as a Christian, I'm God conscious on a daily basis. I know he's there. I know he hears me, right? Are you bearing spiritual fruit like John 15 says? Did you bear that good fruit before you were a believer? And I don't mean doing just good works because plenty of unsaved people do good works. There's a lot of charities out there. Is this real true spiritual fruit? Can you make that comparison? Is there a difference? Don't, don't be concerned that you don't feel something. It doesn't mean when we become a Christian, we don't still become sad. Our feelings don't overwhelm us at times because we are redeemed spiritually, but we're still stuck in this world. It's an interesting concept, right? We're still stuck to, tied to this sinful flesh with all of its desires. So we've been spiritually redeemed. We're going to heaven, but we're still stuck in these bodies for a while. But it does tell us that the promise, we, we, we are delivered from this evil age. We are. So that means that when the heavens and earth are, are, are smoked, they're torched, and God remakes everything, when it, when it means the nations are set in front of him and he has to judge them, when it means that people will, will answer for their sins, we pass over that, just like the children of Israel in the Passover. So we are saved. And eventually there will be a physical redemption. We'll get new bodies, 1 Corinthians 15. We won't be tied to sinful flesh. We won't war against our flesh. We won't feel bad because we sin, because we won't sin anymore. I, know, I see a lot of smiles. Yeah, it is a very exciting plan, isn't it? It's a great retirement plan, trust me. You know, and it's, it's not like the, the bottom's going to fall out or somebody make a bad investment and you lose all your life savings. Trust me, it just keeps going for eternity. It's a great plan. But we're still in this world. Uh, and there's these concepts when we go through trials uh, to be delivered from the trial or to be delivered through the trial. And I see that in this world. We're delivered from this present evil age, but we're still stuck in this present evil age. There is a difference. Trust me, when the trial comes my way, I don't go to God and go, Oh Lord, a trial is coming. Crush me so the fragrance of Christ can ooze out of me. <laughs> I've never prayed that, by the way. My first inkling is, oh, Lord, oh, not now. <laughs> I can't deal with this. Help me out. But sometimes he goes, you're going through it, but I'll be with you. I'm going to guide you through it. Sometimes I get really blessed and I'm delivered out of it, you know. But my first response is not to go through it. And there's things that we have to go through in this present evil age that we don't enjoy. But we have been delivered from it. We have been delivered out of it. Now we're just passing through for a time. Verse 5, and he speaks about the glory forever and ever. Amen. John 17, 5, this is a great prayer that Jesus prays while he's on the earth. He's praying to the Father. And he speaks about the glory that he and the Father shared. Um, just so you know, I, we don't share God's glory. But Jesus was God the Son. 
So he spoke about him having to go to the cross. And he's having this conversation with the Father. And he's talking about the, the awesome glory that they shared before he took the form of a man and unfortunately had to die for the sins of the world. So when you take verse 5 and, and John 17, 5, we see that the Father and Son both are, are, share that glory and Christ is in glory again. Remember, Christianity is not a religion. It's not by merit. It's through the personhood of God. Salvation is not based on good works, on good deeds. Otherwise, think about this for a moment. So let's say that I'm elderly and I'm disabled and I can't get around and I have no money in my bank account and I'm not popular and I'm barely scraping by. And think about this. Salvation is by good works. And I'm competing with somebody a lot younger, a lot physically vibrant, has a lot of money in the bank, is very popular, can do all these good works. Guess what? I'm toast. I mean, if that's the comparison, I'm losing. But see, the beautiful thing is God puts us on the same level playing field. You see? We all get to God the same way, and that's fair. The world isn't fair. You know? I mean, even as, as many safeguards as we have for fairness and, and redress in this country, it's not fair here either. But God's system is a fair system because we get to heaven based on our faith and trust in what Jesus Christ did on the cross for our sins, something that we could never even partially pay off or pay back. Verse 6, he says, the Apostle Paul says, I marvel that you are turning away. Now remember, he's talking to a large group of people. I marvel, not every one of them, but there was a good amount of them. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another. But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. Three, the third part of this is regulation. What is the gospel of salvation and what isn't the gospel of salvation? He says, I marvel. Synonyms. I go into my Greek and I, I say, what are the, what's the Greek word and what are all the different words that are similar so I can really help us to get a big picture? He says, um, I marvel or I'm incredulous. I'm in disbelief, Galatians. You're turning away. In other words, you're, you're abandoning. You're removing yourself. You're exchanging a false gospel for a true gospel. I can't believe that this is happening. Galatians, are you serious? Remember, the Apostle Paul was not a control freak, but he was a spiritual father to them. He labored much spiritually. Okay? So he was, he was a father figure, and he was very concerned about his children. It broke his heart. He was very passionate. I believe in chapter 3, he says, Oh, foolish Galatians. And I'll translate that when we get to it. You know, today we're, we have this, this movement in society where we don't invade each other's space, where there's safe spaces in, in college that it, somebody with an opposing viewpoint, you're not allowed to say it to disturb the person. You know, that we don't raise our voice in society. It's not polite. But let me tell you something. This is passionate stuff. This is passionate stuff. I mean, what, what are we doing? I mean, are we, are we doing this as Christians? You know, I can't hear that. And that, it's hurting my ego. It's, it's not building my self-esteem. You spoke too loudly. I mean, seriously, if like a gunman came in this place and you guys were all looking at me and I saw the gunman, I might do this. Everybody get down the ground! Was anybody sleeping? I might even throw the people in the first row on the ground so they could be protected by the pews. And you might say, Pastor Joe yelled at me. He raised his voice, but are you still alive? Right? 
It's a good example, I think. Listen, if you're looking for milquetoast Christianity, you've come to the wrong church. <laughs> I think you know that. Somebody just walked in and goes, what's all that yelling about? What happened in here? Right? We're passionate about what we believe. And, and that's why one of the reasons I love the Apostle Paul, because he was passionate about his... Listen, sometimes I find that those who have a, a major testimony and, and like just really involved in so much evil, and they really get what it means, and God turns them around, I mean, they're just to- totally devoted to the Lord. That's why, again, Walid Shubat, you can look up this guy. He's, I think he killed people. He was an anti-Semite. He was a really horrible man. And he was like the Apostle Paul where the Lord met him and, and he had a change of heart. The guy's a changed man. And you know what? He gets death threats all the time. He knows he's living on borrowed time. There's fatwas against him. But he, he gets it. And verse 6, he goes, you're, you're turning away so soon. What does that mean? It means that they're, they're new believers. They're, and new believers, baby Christians, are vulnerable because they just were introduced to the faith. And it doesn't take much to take somebody who doesn't know much and turn them to the wrong direction. I was working with, and I was working with someone many years ago. He's not here. <laughs> I, I don't want to get people to guess, but a long time ago, and he's a young man, and uh, I remember he got involved in some things that really started pulling him away from the Lord. And we had, our last talk was on the phone, and it was a passionate discussion. I didn't, I wasn't mad at him, I wasn't yelling at him, but I was, I said, I feel like, I said, I feel like I'm losing you to the world, and you don't see it. And it was a passionate discussion, and, and we didn't speak after that. And he went into the world and did some stuff. And a few years later, I got an email. Now, Emails are interesting things because if you send me an email, you must really trust me, especially if you're telling me about your shortcomings because I could show it to 100 people if I'm not a a stand-up person. He sends me an email and he talks about how he's come back to the faith and he wants to thank us and the church and me for everything that we did for him and that he's in a good place and he's repented for his sins and going into the world. I almost fell off my chair when I read that. Now, I didn't show it to anybody, nor will I, nor will I say the guy's name. But I don't regret the passion that I showed to try to bring him back from the abyss. Oh, it's okay. Do what you want. That's not a friend. A friend is somebody, and we'll see this in Galatians too. The Apostle Paul got in the Apostle Peter's face. He got up in his grill. There was an argument. You've got to come for this one. It was a it's really good portion of Scripture. And he told Peter in front of a bunch of people, the apostle, this great apostle, that he was being a hypocrite. Why? Because the apostle Paul loved Peter. And Peter went on to do incredible things. And so did Paul. But they were good for each other. We've got to stop getting into this thing in the United States where we choose people based on how they follow us on Facebook and and how they won't say anything negative to us. It just makes us a bunch of shallow people. And it shouldn't be in the church. But he says that he, he talks about, listen, they're, they're taking you to a, a, another gospel. And he's not saying that there is another gospel. He says, because it's not. You know, it, it, because it, it's not another. It, it, they're taking you to something different, but it's not another gospel. It's damning. Right? Jesus plus. Jesus plus the law. Jesus plus you have to be circumcised. And if you don't do these things, you're not saved. Do we know enough to refute that? Verse 7, he goes, 
These people want to trouble you. They want to disturb you. They want to pervert the gospel. And there's a type of cult that loves to prey on established... See, it's amazing. There's a type of cultish church and teaching that what they do is they let real Christians do the hard work and bring and, and evangelize and bring people out of the world into salvation. And then they, they, they get their hands on them and, and they mold them and they try to work with them because now at least the hard work is done. And that's what these people were doing. Okay? Listen, a lot of people today are infatuated even with some of these preachers on TV that just say smooth things all the time. Sometimes it ministered to me as code speak for I feel good today. My emotions are up here because I heard something that I really wanted to hear this morning. So what does that mean when we're convicted? Oh, that was a terrible message? That pastor's angry. He's a jerk. I'm never coming to that church again. Then don't read the Bible. because Don't read any of the Apostle Paul's works because there's a little something for everybody in his works. I mean, if I, if I, you know, if I made decisions in ministry based on hurts and disappointments and having my feelings hurt, I probably would have quit ministry 50 times already. For others, it might be, it's time to quit the marriage. We've fallen out of love. Listen, I understand if you're in a relationship where one person's really not trying, boy, is that difficult. But some just, just give up for the, the silliest reasons. And married in a Christian church, going to a Christian church, some give up, on, uh, give up on God because they're going through a trial. Some assault others out of anger. I hesitate to say this, but if you put in your search engine like Bing or something, church fights, even in church. I mean, I'm looking at this. I don't know how I got there. You know how you can just go from one thing to the other? And I'm looking at these fights where people in church are beating the snot out of each other, hitting each other with chairs. I'm like, this isn't a church. Okay, your people irritate us. I get it. If anything, that's the last place that we should be doing that in. But it's because we let our emotions get to us. We can't always trust our feelings. So I'm just, I'm just kind of preparing us as we go through this book because there's going to be a lot of soul searching because it isn't just for the Galatians, it's for us today in 2016. Verse 8 and 9. He says, but check this out, he says it twice. Even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. You know what the Apostle Paul's doing? In case, you know what's funny? Jeremiah tells us that the heart is desperately wicked. Of course, humanism will tell you we're all basically good. But the Bible says otherwise. So Jeremiah, the Apostle Paul is basically saying, I know my heart. I could go bad. So if we, or an angel, or anyone else preach a different gospel, the gospel of salvation, salvation let him be accursed. In other words, don't listen anymore. And I think we've tried to follow that model in this church too. It isn't about the pastors here or the elders. People go bad all the time. It's about, will the church continue? Will the church in Jamesburg continue? It's not about a person. Will the gospel change? It shouldn't because it's, it's timeless. It's eternal. It's already stood the test of time for 2,000 years and it'll go into eternity. Now, this is interesting. Muhammad, some 600 years after this was written, supposedly received a revelation from the angel Gabriel. Now, we know Gabriel because we talked about him all through the book of Daniel. We just went through that. And, and Gabriel supposedly gave Muhammad a different gospel, a different vision. That's interesting. How many people follow that? Joseph Smith of the Mormons, some 1,800 years after this was written, at 14 years old, 
supposedly was visited by the angel Moroni. Isn't this fascinating? We go right back to the scripture. Now, I have spell check on my Word document. And there is no word Moroni in the English language, and I spelled it the way it's supposed to be spelled. When I hit the space bar, it automatically changed the word to moronic. Just saying. I, I didn't do, I'm looking at my notes, I'm like, I know I didn't write that. But it's a different gospel. It's not the truth. It's completely changed the, the understanding of salvation. It's exactly what he's saying here. So it's... it's um, it's, it's rough. I mean, it's, it's a sad thing to look at. Verse 10. You know, and, and we, we have these ideas too. You know, we romanticize Peter and Paul and, you know, of course, Jesus is the Son of God. We should be worshiping Him. But even though Paul was with them and he broke bread with them and he spoke to them and he, he was passionate with them, they still did some dumb things. They still turned away. It isn't about man. It's, you know, we're all responsible for our own walk with the Lord. Verse 10, he says, For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a servant of Christ. Man-pleasers versus God-pleasers. You can't please both. Jesus says you have to serve one master. You can't serve God and riches. You can't serve God and the world. You can't even serve God and religion. Relationship with Christ, serving God is a personal relationship. No church can take that away from you. Don't let anybody tell you, well, if you leave this church, you're not saved. Any church. If, you don't, if you're not a part of our church, you're not saved. That's not what the Bible says. Those are the Jesus plus theories, and they're all wrong. We either believe what the Apostle Paul says, and Jesus and Peter the, the, you know, Christ, God, the architect of our faith, or we believe man. The word please in the Greek means exciting emotion or be agreeable to. A man-pleaser preacher will tell you what you want to hear because he won't want to upset you. And certainly there's a fortune to be made in, let's say, ministry. Um, listen, there's, I know plenty of wealthy people. They're awesome people. They run their own businesses. Put that aside. I know people who've come into inheritance. That's fine. But there are some that get into the God business because it's very lucrative. And they're, they're completely insulated from trials. They have people waiting on them hand and feet, doing their hair, doing all kinds of stuff. But a man-pleaser preacher will tell you want, what you want to hear so you won't be upset and so that their empire can keep going. You can't trust the man-pleaser to give the absolute truth because sometimes the truth hurts. Sometimes it's painful. A God-pleaser, on the other hand, will tell you the truth. The Apostle Paul was a God-pleaser. Now, sometimes it'll grate against the flesh of the hearer. They won't always appreciate what they read. They won't always like what they hear from the pulpit. But I've got to tell you, I, I have a rule. If you're in ministry and you never get under somebody's skin what you're preaching, you're probably not doing a good job. You're probably not telling the truth because this is naturally... listen. There's nobody who gets more convicted than me when I'm putting these things together and I'm typing. I'm like, oh, that's a problem in my life. Oh, <laughs> I can't get around it. I got to talk about it. And I got to, you know, I got to live it. Right? It's a very deceived world out there. Today's, the title of today's message is worth fighting for. And let me ask the question again: What in your life is worth fighting for? Your reputation—that's a good thing. Your marriage, that's a good thing. The health of a loved one, that's a really good thing. 
right? Some type of relationship or friendship, they're all good things. But do we have that same passion for the truth of the gospel of salvation? Do we have the idea, well, I'm saved. I made it to the finish line. Jesus said it, and that all may be true. But do we just hold it for ourselves? Or do we want to share it with others? Do you know that, you know, again, romanticizing the Apostle Paul, his life, you know how many attempts on his life there were? You know how many people try to kill the Apostle Paul as we take the Bible in its totality? How many, you know, times he was arrested, beat up, beaten, left for dead? Boy, this, this, this guy was one of the most abused men that ever lived. Why? Because of his message. Why? Because his love for the lost. But he wasn't going to stop. Literally, probably till he took his last breath and the executioner took his, his head off, he probably was praying. I don't know this to be a, tr- a truth, but I'm going to guess that he was praying. And he was praying for all those people that he witnessed to for them to get saved. That gives me chills when I think about that. As we get deeper in the book of, the book of Galatians, are we sold? Do we really believe that the gospel has the power to save? Do we really believe that the gospel has the power to change lives? Or are we just cultural Christians? Because if we really believe that, our behavior will follow that. Our burden for the lost will become evident. Something that powerful that God has given us that we didn't deserve or earned. And and he says, basically, here, take this amazing thing and it's going to, if you will, if you let me, I will fill you with my Holy Spirit and this will overflow onto other people and you'll affect them as well. How do you say no to something like that? Well, it has the benefit or the ability to change lives, to carry us into eternity, to pass, pass us over judgment, live with God forever. Is that something you believe is worth fighting for? Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening and may God bless you.